0: We're going to come now to uh, the reading of God's word, uh, and we're looking this morning at a book of 2 Timothy. We've uh, come to the last chapter, and we're going to try and cover it all in, all in one uh, this morning. Uh, that's in part because I'm going away, uh, and from next week, Zach is going to be preaching on Jonah. Uh, this book, I don't know how you found it. If you've been with us uh, for uh, the last few weeks, I don't know how you found 2 Timothy. Uh, in all honesty, when I was preparing the series, preparing the programme... Uh, I thought, well, 2 Timothy is a book that is relatively easy to understand. Uh, we've just done something Old Testament, so I thought, well, we'll do something New Testament. It'll be good to do something short. We'll, we've, we've done a gospel. Let's do a letter. Let's go to one that is relatively easy to understand. I think Timothy is, on the whole, relatively easy to understand. But personally, I found it incredibly hard work. At the seriousness of ministry as Paul, this apostle, who's on death row, explains to the next generation, Timothy, who's just a normal pastor, what church life and ministry is meant to look like, that the weightiness of that charge is one I've certainly felt heavily. And I hope you have too. And this morning's reading really brings that to a climax. I just look at verse one. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word i charge you says paul Uh, this is his last great words his last commission it's a courtroom scene Uh, when a judge comes into a courtroom all rise says the bailiff Paul is saying, in the presence of God, of Christ, his appearance is coming. This is what you must do. Uh, Scripture has different tones. Some joyful, some lamenting and weeping, some sort of informational, um, some very kind of teaching heavy. Uh, This is a solemn passage. So I'm going to suggest we stand uh, as I read it to us. Would you stand and hear this charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus? Let's hear the word of the Lord. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming... For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas... In love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. Uh, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace. Be with you. Amen. We'll do. Take your seats. Let me pray uh, as we begin. Uh, Father, these are weighty words, and all these words of Scripture are Your words. Uh, so send your light, we pray, to lighten our hearts. Uh, drive away the darkness and confusion. Wake us up where we've become sleepy. Would we hear your charge to us today, we pray. Uh, for we ask, uh, not for our own glory, uh, not in our own righteousness, but in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. Paul, death row. Uh, Paul about to leave the scene. Uh, Paul looking down uh, the tunnel of time, looking forward uh, and desperate to make sure the gospel continues. Paul is not just Timothy's spiritual father, but our spiritual father. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. An apostle is a, a special uh, representative. Someone who was appointed directly by Jesus to speak Jesus' very words, to speak God's very words. And Paul's particular role was to go to those who were not Jews, which I suspect is most of us here this morning. Uh, We have, therefore, in these few verses, not just some of the last words of Paul, a great religious figure, Paul, a great teacher, but some of the very last words of the Lord Jesus. Before he's finished speaking to us, or at least finished revealing anything new. Uh, last week we thought about the scriptures, uh, the Bible as we now call it, and how they're complete. They will make you complete, equipped for every good work. You need to hear no more from God than is in the Bible. One or two apostles outlived Paul, but as we read his last words we are therefore reading nearabouts the last things that jesus said to us before the canon was closed uh, the bible finished and they're all about gospel ministry Uh, they're all about in fact the strategy for gospel ministry what is is our strategy here at christ church central our strategy for next year and five years ten what is the strategy two things this morning Paul wants Timothy to be clear on. wants us, therefore, to be clear on. First is the context of gospel ministry. What's the context for ministry? That the primary context, says Paul, uh, the thing you must keep at the forefront of your mind is the fact that the Lord Jesus will return. Uh, Verse 1, chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. As I stand here before God, says Paul, who's actually sitting in a dungeon underneath Rome somewhere, probably 30 foot or so underground. As I stand here in the presence of God and of Christ, what particularly is accentuated about Christ? Christ who is to judge the living and the dead. One day, Paul reminds us, one day... It's as if the whole world will turn into a giant courtroom. Imagine the largest stadium we've ever seen, and all of humanity, living and dead, will be there. No one will escape. And no one will be hidden underneath the benches. No one will be left behind, no one will be forgotten, no one will be able to hide. Everybody, says Paul, will come before the Son of God and be judged assessed weighed he will appear you can't see Jesus can you you've never seen Jesus no one alive has ever seen Jesus but one day everybody alive will see Jesus everyone who's ever lived will see Jesus he will bring in his kingdom, verse 1. He, he will transform, as he promised to, he will transform this world. He will turn it into the kingdom that, uh, that it was always meant to be a place of happiness and love and joy, of praise to God, of love for one another, a, a place without mourning and sickness and death and sin, a place where you'll no longer be depressed, a place where you'll no longer have cancer, a place you'll no longer be lonely, a place you'll no longer be riddled with sin full of doubts and fears. His kingdom will be one of everlasting joy. It will come. Paul says that as he sits in presumably near darkness, in pain and hunger and cold, chained in the dungeons of the most powerful man on earth. This is not reality, he says. What is coming is what is really real. Everything in us and around us screams at us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? To live for now. As you order your priorities, as you work out what to do with your money and your time, even your next 24 hours, what really matters, Well, what really matters is is the kids' education. What really matters is is my career progress. What really matters is I've, I've got to get the house sorted. What really matters is, and it's all about here and now, and Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus... Remember, he is coming. The theme goes all the way through the passage. In verse seven, he speaks about himself. I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, there it is again, will award to me on that day, that day of His appearing. What what has driven me? Paul was a bright man. He was a scholar. He was doing well in his career before he turned and started following Christ what has driven me from successful earthly career to a mangy dungeon and certain execution the knowledge that one day I stand before Christ on the other hand I look down at verse 10 These this last bits of Paul's letters you know, with all the names we often skip over don't we okay, it's just Paul sort of tidying up granny says hello and Aunt Molly is fine and... but actually they're significant look at verse 10 Demas in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh, Why has Demas abandoned Paul? Paul's in prison. You don't want to be associated with a criminal. Well, Demas is in love with the present world. He cares about here and now. Now, Demas has already appeared in the Bible earlier in Paul's letters, in the book of Colossians, and there he's one of Paul's co-workers. If this isn't Demas, the super bad guy, coming on stage, some evil cackling in a kind of black cloak and a twisty moustache. This is Demas, who a few years earlier was Paul's buddy, sidekick in ministry. But he loved the world, decided to live for now, not then. Or verse 14, the same again. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Again, Paul's looking forward. I don't exactly know what Alexander did. But the problem for Alexander, says Paul, is the Lord will judge him. Now verse 18, more positively, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Again, that eternal focus. Paul is saying, this is the day that really matters. Some, some of you are engaged and you're looking towards the, the wedding day and very naturally your, your mind goes towards getting the clothes right, the, the colour scheme, the food, the guest list. Uh, you start living for the future. What's this Paul? You should be living for the future all the time and the day that should dominate all your diaries is the day when Jesus returns. If the choice you're making in terms of how you live your life be it in a big picture or just day to day. If the choices make no sense in light of Christ returning, they're pointless, says Paul. Uh, particularly for you, Timothy, uh, as a minister, keep your eye on Jesus above all else. If you're going to do all the tasks I'm about to tell you to do, you must have your eye on Jesus, not on others. I heard a Scottish minister talking about um, his ordination. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the service where he was commissioned to become a minister, a Timothy, if you like. And I'm slightly paraphrasing him, but basically what, what happens is this. Uh, really, at, at ordination, we, we, we ordained Peter and Matt as elders just last week. But Peter and Matt made, made two promises. The first is they promised to be your servants. Okay? So Peter and Matt promised the congregation, we are going to be your servants. But they also promised something else. They promised that you would not be their masters. They are your servants, but you are not their masters, because their duty is to keep their eyes not on you and what you want to hear, but on the Lord Jesus and what he wants to say to you through them. Look at verse 3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate, gather to themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth. And wander off into myths. The time's coming, says Paul, when people will really enjoy sermons. They will want teachers. They will tune in on the internet and on podcasts and on YouTube. They will gather, they will, they will search out this teaching. But the problem is, it won't be healthy teaching, sound teaching. That they won't put up with, says Paul. The word for sound is, is the healthy word. And, and so, see, it's not that it's not that people suddenly don't like preaching, don't like teaching. It's they don't like the kind of teaching that's going to correct a rebuke and encourage them. Healthy teaching. Actually, I had a friend growing up. He was a bit younger than me, actually. In fact, we weren't even really friends, but I knew him. Uh, he was uh, the younger brother of my, my sister's friend. Uh, six, six, seven years younger than me. All he would eat, I remember as kids, all he would eat... Uh, were fish fingers and cream cheese sandwiches. That's it. Morning, lunch, tea, fish fingers, cream cheese sandwiches. Okay, all sort of strange. When I was young, thought it was strange. Uh, we moved away when I was a teenager. Never saw the guy again. About two or three years ago, my parents bumped into his parents. He's now 35, something like that. All he eats: cream cheese sandwiches and fish fingers. He hasn't stopped eating, but he eats rubbish. When Christians go astray, they don't stop listening, they start listening to rubbish. When not stop eating, we feed ourselves junk food. We don't stop listening, we feed our ears junk preaching, junk theology, junk Bible. We heard this earlier in 2 Timothy, there is a kind of preaching that can use the right words, resurrection, gospel, Jesus, God's love, all the right words, but when you dig into them, those words no longer mean what they're meant to mean, what God says they mean, they just mean what the preacher wants them to mean, or more importantly in 2 Timothy 3, what the itchy ears of the congregation wants to hear. They gather teachers to suit their own passions. Children, you've got itchy ears? Okay. don't have itchy ears Paul says itching ears just, just want to be scratched just tell me what I want to hear and it gets this sort of mutually beneficial relationship we'll support you as the pastor the preacher we'll give and we'll, we'll talk about how great your ministry is and encourage you as long as you don't say anything we disagree with you scratch where I itch but Timothy is meant to be teaching the word of God reproving rebuking correcting that is as well as encouraging. Hence, Timothy uh, is not to be driven by the opinions of the congregation. Now, it's not that Peter and Matt have been called to be totally disinterested in what you think. Okay? So obviously, you could push that too far. But Timothy, Peter, Matt, they are not, uh, they are not under your lordship, but under the lordship of Jesus. And therefore, verse 5, as for you, Timothy, you church leaders, be sober-minded, be realistic, be realistic. Endure suffering. If you're faithful, you will suffer. Paul said that time and time again. Do the work of an evangelist. Preach the gospel, that is. Fulfill your ministry. A friend, when he was preaching on 2 Timothy, called the whole series... When giants weep and waver. When giants weep and waver. Who's the giant he was speaking about? Timothy. Timothy is a good guy. Two letters in the New Testament written to him. He was the pastor in Ephesus. You can add in Ephesians. You can add in the letter to Ephesus in Revelation. He's Paul's constant travelling companion in the book of Acts. He is, after the apostles, as good as it gets in the New Testament. Not a bad word to say about him really. But as we began the letter, Paul began by saying, I remember your tears, chapter 1, verse 4. Timothy is weeping. And part of the point of this letter is to strengthen Timothy. Put iron in his soul. We, We must be realistic. Good people weep and waver. Good people can be tempted to shy away from fully preaching the word of God. Good people can be so crushed by the weight of life or ministry or opposition or suffering that they just back off. Giants weep and waver. I look down at verse 9. There's a bit of a shock in there, or a potential shock. Sorry, verse 10. Uh, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. We've already talked about that. Demas was one of Paul's colleagues, and he's deserted. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Now, opinion is divided, whether it's just Demas who's gone off because he loved the world, and actually Crescens and Titus have just gone because they were sent in different places, But it is at least possible, and opinions need to be split about 50-50, that actually Crescens and Titus also have deserted. Uh, They've done the same as Demas. I, I don't know, I don't want to slander Titus. But that is Titus, who's got a New Testament letter written to him. And certainly it would be foolish if we think that just because this guy's got a letter written to him, he couldn't also weep and waver, abandoned Uh, So Paul's concern in this letter Uh, is not just to communicate doctrine to Timothy, but but to care for Timothy himself. Uh, That's why, again, I think it's very surprising. I wonder if you noticed it when I read. Verse uh, 9, do your best to come to me soon. Uh, Verse 21, do your best to come before winter. The church is in danger in Ephesus, Paul says to Timothy. Timothy's in Ephesus, this city in Turkey. Uh, The church is in danger. Watch out for these false teachers. Guard the good deposit I entrusted to you. Preach the word in season and out. Correct, rebuke and encourage. Oppose those who stand against the truth. And and leave Ephesus and come to me. It's not what we expect at the end of a letter. Why is Paul summoning Timothy from a, a church situation where the church is in danger of going off the rails, summoning him hundreds of miles away to Rome? You know, travel not very easy in the first century. But well, it's not that he's abandoned Ephesus. See verse 12. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. Okay, Tychicus, presumably, is a is a good guy. I've sent Tychicus to, to take over, but you need to come to me. Why? There's probably a couple of reasons, but one at least is this, I think. Paul is concerned for Timothy as well as the church. Uh, he wants to be able to meet with Timothy again before he dies. Uh, to make sure Timothy. We'll be able to keep going in ministry, wherever quite that may be. He's worried that Timothy might join Demas, possibly Titus, Alexander. Let's not be naive about those in ministry. Can you see that although this letter is written to ministers, or a minister rather, Timothy, Uh, Can you see why it's so important for for everybody, all Christians, all congregations to hear this? That's why the letter ends, uh, verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit, that's singular, your spirit, Timothy, but grace be with you, the congregation. As I said right at the beginning of this series, it's as if the whole church is reading the letter over the shoulder of Timothy. Uh, You need to know the dangers that gospel ministers face the dangers of them wandering away. You are a fool if you think, I've sat under John T's ministry for three and a half years in Leeds or 10 and a half years if you come from Derby. He'll be fine. No. If you think, well, Peter Woods, Matt Shortman, we know them, they're safe. You're a fool. You're a fool and you're underestimating uh, the sheer opposition uh, thrown at the Timothys of this world. A day is coming. Stay at your work, says Paul. Please pray that those given to this church in that role of elder will do just that. Do not take it for granted. The context of gospel ministry. Uh, Secondly, and finally, what's the content there of gospel ministry? The strategy, what's the content of this strategy? It's there in verse 2, isn't it? Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Complete patience and teaching. Listen to me, Timothy. One last thing to say to you. This is what ministry is about. Preach the word. about two things the message what are you meant to preach the word that's the content that's the message Uh, the word uh, is a a little phrase he's come back to several times in this letter Uh, it means that the gospel i think as contained in the scriptures make sure you're preaching the true gospel that's been revealed by jesus through paul you can preach all sorts of things There is not a church in this country meeting today, probably, that will not have some sort of preaching. But is it the word? Is it the gospel of the Lord Jesus, crucified for our sins? Is it Jesus being offered freely, if you'll come to him? Eternal life being held out? Is it the word of God that is driving it? Or rather, is it encouragements? Nice stories. Spiritual sounding truths in verse 4 people wander off into myths it's so from the case it's been a bit of a theme in, in 1 and 2 Timothy so often what, what happens in churches is it's not that the minister stands up one day and says do you know what forget Jesus I've got something else to talk to you about Let's all follow Mohammed or Buddha or, that doesn't happen like that what happens you wander off okay it's sort of carelessness it's like a child you go for a going for a walk with a child or you know I've got a two year old at the moment take your eye off him he could be anywhere it happens after church every week Okay, I'm doing something. Take your eye off him. He's gone. It's not because he's got some particular plan. It's just two. Gone. Churches wander off. Ministers wander off when they move from the scriptures and start talking about other things, even if they're very spiritual-sounding things, messages God has given them, visions for the church and the future. Uh, the, the, there's, there's a whole industry in the Christian publishing world of this sort of stuff. Okay, you will find tons of it in any Christian bookshop you go to any Christian channel you find on YouTube absolutely tons of it they'll never stand up and say hey let's not talk about Jesus and the cross anymore rather it'll just be well the latest weird and wonderful interpretation of some dream or vision uh, the latest bizarre interpretation of some Old Testament passage the latest twisting of the scriptures to promise you something that God has never promised there's a hundred ways of doing it But any ministry that isn't focused on Christ crucified, because that ultimately is the hope of the world. If you're not a Christian, if you're you're visiting today, what is going on here? Why is he banging on so, so long? Why do these people listen to this sort of stuff? You need to know that the only hope for the world, the only hope for that great judgment scene when you will stand in front of of God and his son, the Lord Jesus, your only hope is is not in yourself, actually. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can bring, no evidence you can pull out of your pockets on that day that will be able to prove your innocence and earn you that, that crowd of righteousness that Paul talks about, that welcome into eternal life. Instead, all you'll be able to say, and your only hope, is to join the criminal on the cross we spoke about earlier and say, no, I have nothing. I am a sinner, I don't deserve eternal life. But you, God, are so full of love and mercy that you gave your son to die for me. His death instead of mine. That is what the Lord Jesus says to you this morning. Come to me freely. Don't try and pay, don't try and buy. Come to me, trust me alone, and I will save you. Christianity is very simple in that sense. Preach the word. That is the message. But there's also a method. Preach the word. Preach it. Uh, Preaching. The the word there is like a herald. Uh, When I was a a kid, I I was remembering this this week, and I, I still can't quite get my head around this. But I, I definitely remember. In this little, I grew up in Dorset. It's the most beautiful place on earth, as I haven't said for a few weeks. Um, I I grew up in 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 the local town, the nearest town to us. We go in on sometimes on Saturday mornings, and children like. This very strange man would sometimes appear in the town square. He'd be wearing this kind of red coat, a bit like a soldier from the old days, and a hat that had three corners. And he had a bell, and he would shake it, and then he'd make announcements. Okay, and he was, the, he was the town crier. It's not there anymore. I still can't believe it was going on in the, in the early 80s, but it was. Okay, he was a herald, an announcer. He'd make announcements. I can't remember what he talked about. I imagine it was pretty quaint by the 80s. But anyway, uh, the word is to announce, the herald. The minister is to herald, preach the word, not discuss it. Timothy, debate the word. No, Timothy, preach the word. Preaching is central to the life and health of the church. Imagine Paul visits us from heaven. Okay, he's beamed down like you know star trek down down comes paul for an update i don't know if people in in heaven know what's going on on earth but let's just imagine he, turn, he comes down for an update uh, and you meet with him meet, meet with him for coffee in starbucks okay he's very impressed he Has a latte um t- tell me how things are going he says yeah you know, i wrote that letter to timothy H- how's it gone down generations i know timothy's long gone how's it going he said it was great paul uh, the bible is at the, s- the center of, of my spiritual life and he says that's wonderful that's so good to hear and you say, yes, it's brilliant. It's been translated into my own language. I can't, I can't read Greek, which I know you wrote in, but it's been translated into English, my language. Fantastic, says Paul. That is great news. And then you say, oh, I, in fact, I gather with a few friends each week, midweek, and we, we sit down and we, we talk about it, we discuss it. And Paul says, oh, good. That sounds really healthy. And you say, actually, I, I even read it on my own. Morning by morning, even by evening, I, I, I try to sit down and, and read it on my own. And Paul says, that is such good news. I'm so encouraged. How's preaching? He asks. Well, <laughs> it's, 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 it's there. We still do it a little bit. But we, we're not listening to me, Paul. I, say, I read it on my own now. And I discuss it with friends sometimes. Uh, we have small groups and one-to-ones and, and my own personal quiet time. Say. So, Preaching, it's it's, it's not such a big deal actually nowadays, Paul, as it was when you were around. We could all read now, whereas they couldn't in in your day, could they? We've all got Bibles now, whereas they didn't in your day, did they? So the good good news is, Paul, we we don't need to do the preaching thing so much. Or at least it's not such a big focus. At which point, Paul, well, Paul's going to be less happy. Preaching is central to the life of the church, he says to Timothy. Not just the Bible central, although clearly the Bible is central because you're preaching the Bible, but preaching the method as well as the message matters. Why? Not because God couldn't get his admin sorted out quick enough so that everyone in the first century could have read the Bible on their own. Okay, that is true, they couldn't because they didn't have it and they couldn't read and blah, blah, blah. But, but that wasn't a problem. God is quite capable of having sorted out the system so that everybody had Bibles 2,000 years ago. He chose not to for whatever reasons, but that wasn't because he was incapable. Now, preaching is always meant to be central. Two reasons, I think. First is because preaching is a declaration. Okay? It is top-down. Okay? It is not me coming to the Bible on my own and having a little discussion back and forth, a dis- debate. No, it is someone announcing to you what is true. And as long as they're preaching the Word, as in the Word of God, not their own twisting a bit therefore you are hearing from jesus it's a reminder that you have a lord who announces stuff to you you don't debate with him you listen but secondly as we've seen all the way through to timothy and we would see if we look at one timothy or titus or frankly almost any new testament book that the word the bible is very easily distorted So so Paul's big concern is to train people to rightly handle the word of truth, as he calls it. Uh, Or 1 Timothy, he wants elders uh, who who are able to teach. Implication, not everybody is able to teach. Not everyone is equally able to to, to understand, to teach, to explain the Bible. Now, it's not because we need some sort of, you know, like Catholics, like a pope and... um, the cardinals, as if you know, normal Christians aren't allowed to the scriptures. And no, of course you are. Okay, of course everybody is. But there's a danger as evangelicals that we, we forget the emphasis on God's gift of teachers to the church. Ephesians four, when Christ said he gave pastors and teachers to the church, they're not a nice extra. As if the main thing is me on my own, and if I want to go and listen to the preacher, well, okay. No, they are central. Okay, I, I talk to people who get themselves in a total fuddle, confusion, about various bits of the Bible they've read on their own. Okay, now, again, please, please, read the Bible on your own, in your families. <laughs> Don't mishear this. Okay. But preaching is meant to be central, because as long as things are working... Christ has given preachers, elders, to rightly handle the word. So how central is the preached word? I think it's evangelicals are good at saying the word of God needs to be central to church life. But here it's not just the word of God. It is the preached word of God that Paul is concerned about. The method as well as the message. Let's not be wiser than God. If I can ask this in a this is a really offensive question, so apologies in advance, but would you rather be blind or deaf? Okay? That's not a very sensitive question, I realise. And the answer is neither, but would you rather be blind or deaf? Paul, I think, would have an easy answer to that. I'd rather be blind. Okay. You need to be able to hear the preached word above all else. That is God's key plan for correcting, rebuking, encouraging his church so paul on his way out preach timothy. preach 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 in season and out of season whether you feel like it or not whether anyone wants to listen or not preach i think that's the second reason that paul brings timothy to him but paul, paul knows he's going to die That the emotion in the words is incredible. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. It doesn't mean I've stayed faithful. I've kept the faith. It means I've preserved the good deposit, the gospel that was entrusted to me. And I've passed it on to you, Timothy. I've kept it. And now I'm going. Poured out like a drink offering. If you pour water on a sacrifice, a burning fire, children, what happens? Just goes. And so come to me. Uh, Luke alone is with me, verse 11. Bring Mark. That's lovely. If you've read Acts, you'll know that Mark and Paul fall out. And in in Acts 15, Paul sends Mark away because he thinks Mark's bottled it. Well, here's redemption. Paul is assembling a team again. That's why he wants his books, in verse 13, and parchments. But Paul hasn't retired. He's in jail. It's as miserable an existence as you could look for on a human scale. He will be executed. And and history tells us that he had his head chopped off. Uh, just a few, well, who knows, weeks, months later. But Paul is still going. He's assembling the team to make sure the gospel continues because that is what he cares about and that is what the Lord cares about. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. What does it look like to have the Lord strengthen you and rescue you? What did it look like for Paul? Did it mean he was freed from the cellar? Got to live on, No. No. The Lord rescuing him means Lord rescuing him from abandoning his post, giving up, failing to keep preaching the word. In verse seventeen, the Lord's strengthening enabled him to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles at his trial. The Gentiles there, presumably the Roman authorities who were putting him on trial. Is poor. The Lord rescued me. He said, Oh great, so you were set free. No 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 no. No, he says, No, I'm not worried about that. No, no, I was rescued. I was able to speak the truth to them even on trial that's what really matters because the Lord is coming you're all going to die anyway hopefully not with your head chopped off outside Rome but it's going to happen you're going to die Timothy you're going to die Titus you're going to die Luke you're going to die Mark I'm going to die says Paul John T you'll die Matt Kirk you're going to die Peter Wood you're going to die Matt Shortman you're going to die everyone in this room you're going to die but the Lord will rescue you through it if you trust him live for that day because death is not a problem for you The Lord Jesus is the resurrection and the life. His kingdom is going to be far greater than anything you could experience here on earth anyway. So be single-minded. Live for the day of his appearing. And make sure that gospel is preached. Whether you're a preacher, whether you're in the congregation, ensure, ensure that the word of the gospel is preached. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we hear the weight of these words uh, spoken in the presence uh, of Christ Jesus himself and handed down the centuries to us. And we pray so much in your mercy, you would enable us to be a congregation where the word is still preached. Father, we don't pretend that we are somehow immune to the pressures that Demas crumbled under, uh, that may even have taken down Titus and others uh, we see even Timothy weeping and wavering and your mercy Lord uh, strengthen us make us sober minded uh, make us single minded as we see the Lord Jesus coming would we know today tomorrow as we go from from this building and uh, for the rest of uh, the afternoon as we plan for the weeks ahead would we do so in the light of the fact the Lord Jesus is coming then let us become worldly in our thinking we pray and we praise you so much that Jesus has conquered death, paid for all our sins and wanderings. And that he is able to keep us until that day. And so we entrust ourselves to you in his name. Amen.